0: If you didn't need the money, would you still show up to your job? I'm John Weems. I've spent half of my career in the corporate world and the other half in full-time spiritual guidance as a pastor. I respect people of all views unless they are totally closed-minded a-holes. I am not here to tell you what to believe. I am here to encourage you to think beyond the check. Welcome to this podcast where we talk about work, life, and the meaning of our time here. You'll hear from a wide range of business people, from multiple backgrounds. My guest today is Michael Gilroy, partner at Kanan with an emphasis on technology, financial technology, including launching Kanan's FinTech Central to cover events and trends in the industry. He provides leadership for companies including Scale Factor, Content, Square, Beam Solutions, and several more, which we'll discuss. He's also built a three-story house with his father at Twice, which we we'll look forward to hearing about. And near and dear to my heart, he earns Golden State Warriors fan cred for going to Houston for last year's Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals. Mike, you, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we, we have a very a broad range of listeners. Some are in their second and third act of the career. Uh, others are very early. But I heard about a teacher in San Francisco who asked students in her elementary school class... What they wanted to be when they grow up. And one boy said a VC. And so the the teacher was, you know, kind of pleasantly surprised upon asking the boy what he knew about being a VC was he said, I don't know exactly, but I know they can make a lot of money and go cool places. So for the benefit of our listeners, how would you explain what you do to a fourth grader?
1: Yeah, first off, that is such a San Francisco student answer. Uh, I'd love to see the results of other markets across the country. Um, So at its very highest level, we're entrusted by institutional investors who give us their capital to invest on their behalf, who we call LPs. When we take that money, we go and hopefully build a brand in certain verticals and go and attract founders and work with them to hopefully return, uh, you know, a nice ROI for those LPs. Um, so we are out in the market talking to founders every day and helping them build big, big, big businesses.
0: Yeah. So if, if a teacher or someone asked you when you were in those early years, around fourth grade or so, what you dreamt of becoming, uh, what would have your answer been early in life?
1: Yeah, I had to write this down because there were so many. Um, So it was baseball player, then football player, then hockey player, then sports agent. Once my dad told me I wasn't going to be athletic enough to actually be on the field, um, and then hedge fund manager, uh, and that really started through an uncle of mine who started talking to me about stocks when I was, you know, quite young, um, and kind of idolized David Einhorn, who's the Greenlight Capital uh, hedge fund manager, and um, his books or his his initial book, Fooling Some of the People All the Time, um, is something that I've just read a hundred times, and I think um, he stands in my mind for maniacal uh, due diligence. Um turns out that uh when I found out the day to day of a hedge fund manager, I actually didn't want to do that either. So we'll add that one to my list that I just walked through. Um and then next was venture capitalists. Um and for me, I think it really came out of understanding myself more um, you know, intimately. Um knew that I loved investing and kind of the entire thought process and the diligence process. But I also really love the human component of venture capital. I'm I'm spending time with founders and recruiting and customers and partners and all these things. So it's just something that I, you know, wake up and enjoy every day. Yeah. So what was your first job, your first paid job? First paid job um, was a cook, if you can call it that, at Casper's Hot Dogs uh, in Newark, California in the East Bay. Um, I think I was 15, and I remember having to lie to get the job uh, about my age for some reason. Um And uh, funny story, the very first day, I was coming out of the back, and I had this huge bag of frozen hot dogs, or they were thawed, um, and I turned the corner, and my boss was there, and I didn't realize the bag was actually open, so the hot dogs spilled all over the floor, rolled underneath all of the, you know, sinks (laughs) and, you know, uh, cookers, and so I look up, frightened at the manager, and kind of just looks at me, He's like, throw them in the pot, Uh, (laughs) so... um, Before, previously, it was my favorite place to eat. Uh, Once I started working there, I never ate there again. Um, But, you know, classic first job uh, right across the street from my high school. Well, I guess my
0: aspiration of getting Casper's as a sponsor is probably just shot, but that's okay. It's, yeah, we, sorry about that, Casper. No, no, be, be careful out there, guys. <laughs> so, to walk us a little bit of your path growing up uh, in Newark, California, to, to Berkeley, and to Canaan. Kind of fill in some of the details for us.
1: Yeah, so it definitely started in Newark. Um, you know, it's a it's a small town in the East Bay, which is now made famous by Theranos uh, because they had their facility there. Uh, you know, I guess there's no such thing as bad press. Um, so, I grew up in Newark. And then, um, you know, for me, you know, part of the question here is, is also kind of mentors, you know, growing up and, and who helps shape your, your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I had two coaches in high school, one Coach Swift, who is my football coach, and the second is Coach Hess, who is my wrestling coach. Um, and those two individuals for me are as important as my parents are and just kind of shaping who I am. I was also fortunate enough to have Coach Hess actually officiate my wedding last year, which is pretty cool. Um, so two just incredible human beings that, you know, I still think about all the time um, when I have choices to make in life. Um, and so went from Newark to Berkeley, studied economics there, uh, played club ice hockey, um, and then came out of school, uh, did a five-year stint in investment banking, and have been at Canaan ever since. Yeah.
0: How, any, any surprises along the way in terms of turns that you took? Early on, And, you know, you, you mentioned kind of transitioning from uh, the dream of baseball, the hedge fund manager, to anything that surprised you in those early years?
1: I think the surprise is how, how little you know about yourself uh, at every step along the way, right? I mean, as a kid... When you asked me, I I was highly convicted. I was positive I was going to be a professional athlete. Like there's there's no doubt about it. Um, And you know, as an eighteen year old, um, which you know now sounds crazy to me, I was positive I wanted to be a hedge fund manager. Right? And you don't even really know what these things mean. Um, And so for me, I think the surprise is really how much I've changed in my own mind when I've probably been. About the same person the entire time, um, and so it's kind of understanding what you're good at, what you're bad at, um, and really you know where you're going to enjoy you know waking up and spending your time every day. Yeah. So, kind of a, a sidebar here, but let's let's go to that three-story house. What? How mm. how did that happen? How that happened twice? Yeah. Um, so all the credit goes to my dad here. I mean, this is really his story and I'm just really thankful to be a part of it. Um, so his dream as a kid was to build a house. Um, he's been in construction his whole life. Um, you know, literally, you know, nail bags and hammers. Um, and so in 1996, we bought, you know, a plot of land in Copperopolis, uh, which is in Lake tulik uh, or on Lake Tolick. And it's—I mean—it's effectively a cliff. It's a really, really steep hill. Um, there was no electricity, no plumbing, no water. It's just kind of dirt and weeds. Um, and I remember—I actually remember being there buying it, um, or they were buying it. Obviously, we were running around. Um, and so, you know, we didn't really know what we were getting in for and started, you know, digging trenches and the whole thing. And I remember my dad, he built these models in the garage, uh, with you know materials from Michael's craft store, um, and then learned AutoCAD and kind of did all the designs and um his whole thing was he wanted to do it a hundred percent on his own. So no contractors, didn't want to hire a single person, did all the city permitting, all of that stuff. Um And so from 96 to 2004, um, we were there, you know, pretty much, he was there pretty much every weekend. Um, And then we were there, you know, if if I didn't have uh, something with sports, I was there. Um, So we were there a lot. Um, Any vacation from school, summer vacation, we were up there building. Um, Phenomenal experience, by the way. Um, And so in 2004, I was in class and my mom comes in and takes me out and it's like the classic... Mom's been crying. Something major happens, yeah. so like of course, we're thinking something happened to my dad or my sister um and it turned out the house had burned down, so first time in my life, and we, you know we're literally at the stage where we're ordering furniture, the whole thing's done, we're celebrating it's you know this thing's finally done now we yeah. can just spend the weekends on the boat and stop working in the heat every weekend um And it was also, so we come home and it's the first time I ever seen my dad cry the whole nine. It was like a really big deal. Um, so that first weekend we're all kind of at home. And at that point we're like, okay, well now we're just going to go buy a house like this. It was fun. (laughs) Unfortunately it's not there, but there's no way we're doing this thing again. Um, and dad went up that weekend and just he he rented a bulldozer started bulldozing the remains and you know started building again uh, and built the exact same house in the exact same spot um all over again and the second time so we <laughs> it only took 5 years the second time around so we were done in 2009 i believe um so learned a lot the first time around but you know in the moment you don't really stop to think about what's going on while it's happening and you're just you're kind of a kid still um but, you know, in retrospect, it's that kind of work ethic and ability to get up when you're truly knocked down. I mean, that's that's the biggest gut punch you can possibly think of. Um, so really, really cool experience. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, of perseverance,
0: uh, yeah. conviction, clearly – you know your your parents have that in spades. How, yeah, how does that find its way into your work now and in your own
1: focus? I'm super lucky. I mean, it's funny. Uh, you grow up as an adult and you realize uh, all these influences, and you are really, you know, you're kind of born. You're just this blank piece of paper, right? And it's really all the people around you that put you know what's ultimately on that piece of paper. I think. Um, the influence that I have had is probably quite small relative to folks like my mom and dad and Coach Hess and Coach Swift and other you know phenomenal friends i've had you know along the way um but yeah, I mean, I think all of those things really resonate with me um even you know even this morning to this day in the gym, if i 'm feeling tired and I tell myself so i 'm going to do twelve reps in the beginning and i 'm tired at ten, I will literally think about Coach Hess and Coach Swift mm-hmm. in my ear finish strong, finish strong. Right. Um, and so it's, I'm just so fortunate to have had those people, uh, you know, to be there for me to kind of put that kind of guidance in in my life. Yeah. So with, with the
0: kind of drive that you have, you'd mentioned getting married last year and obviously, you know, having a life beyond work. How do you focus your time with so many things coming at you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, first off, you know, I, uh, my wife, Mahima Chavala, she, um, She's the most uh, understanding and also hardworking and similar person to me, right? So I think finding that life partner who understands you and is willing to accept you for your faults. Uh, and in my case, sometimes that's work and, uh, you know, thankfully she has some of the same faults. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I think it's, it's really making sure you know what your true North is because, uh, undoubtedly you're going to just find weeks or months at a time where you're, you're not doing, you know, all the things that you should be doing. Um, but knowing that you can come back to that path, you know, because people around you, I think is what's important. How much does, does your,
0: sense of true north in addition to your financial acumen obviously play into meetings that you take investments you evaluate and how does how do those things flow through life for you
1: yeah totally you know it's um One of the things that I always ask myself is, do I want to be on the board with this person for, you know, 10 plus years, right? Like to your point earlier, we were were talking, life is just way too short um, to be on a board with somebody who you're not going to, you know, we don't need to be best friends, but we should respect each other and feel like there's going to be a positive working relationship. And just like any other profession, there are folks out there that you just don't want to spend time with or work with, Um, you know, and so that, that truly is my first bar. Right. And across the board, um, everybody that I'm working with, I'm so fortunate that, uh, you know, they're extraordinary human beings first. And that's just a lot of fun to be around. Um, You know, secondarily, as I think about kind of investing, it's the classic founder market fit. And will this founder run through brick walls? Because company building is really, really, really hard. Um, And I always joke, if I were to go back to school, I studied economics, it would probably be psychology. (laughs) Um, You know, that's, I I think, probably over 50 percent of my job as a as a board member and investor um and i think it's really important it's it's hard um there's a lot of pressure out there you know now i think now more than ever so um i think it's important to have those tools so our, our mutual friend
0: uh ron super suggested a question that i know he does well i trust you do too how do you say no nicely when you just you your gut tells you or your or data tells you it is not a fit
1: yeah so i'll start with a, a quick story from right when i started at canaan um you know, writing those first pass emails is really hard. Uh, because first of all, it's like, I mean, even today, like who the heck am I to tell you that like, you know, you're not worthy of our investment? You know, I, we're all guessing, um, let's be honest. Um, but I wrote a really thoughtful pass email and I got a response back from the founder who took um, took it upon himself to add all of my colleagues at Canaan um, and proceeded to list our investments and tell us why they were bad investments. And here I am, I think I'm probably two months into the job, just absolutely destroyed. And I thought it was like, okay, I'm getting fired. This is really bad. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a really, really hard thing to do. And I, I still have the email um, and there's, there's nothing I would have changed in it, right? And so I think... Um, Saying no is really hard, but you also have to realize that sometimes regardless of what you say, people are going to be unhappy and that's, that's fine. You have to accept that. Um, but I think it's, it's doing it with the appropriate level of empathy and not getting to a point where, you know, it's just like whack-a-mole, right? And and unfortunately, it's part of our, our day, right? To you're constantly passing on companies. Um, you're doing one deal a year, maybe. Um, and so doing it with empathy and also doing it, you know, I think, um, letting them know like, Hey, I, I'm wrong all the time. And I've, I've already been wrong, you know, 20, 40, 50 times in my very short career and, you know, probably wrong here. Um, so I think it, it's, you get into trouble when you pass, uh, with authority or with conviction, um, that is, is obviously very off-putting. So, um, you know, just try to, try to have some empathy while you do it. Not that I expect you to name the company, but
0: anytime <laughs> when a, when a pass, uh, that entrepreneur showed so much conviction that they were willing to run through a brick wall that later a, a pass became revisited by you.
1: Um, so a, a company I regret passing on? Uh, or,
0: or one that you initially passed on and they circled back with you down the road and yeah. changed your mind.
1: Yeah, that has not happened yet. Um, there are a number that I'm tracking, and you know, it's tough because I think founders hear a lot. You know, this isn't a good fit, but circle back to the next round. Let me know how I can be helpful. Sure. Blah blah blah. Right? Um, there are many times when you actually mean that, and you would like to kind of keep the conversation going, and um, you know, look at the next round, particularly at a multi stage firm like Kanan. Um, but haven't haven't been there yet. Um, unfortunately, I have a lot that you know passed on early and um, went on to sure. r- raise big rounds after the fact. But that's that's part of life. Yeah. Well, let's maybe talk about a couple that that
0: have been a good fit that you're excited about.
1: Yeah. Um, so my portfolio, uh, I'll quickly run through them. Yeah. Um, Content Square, a company based in uh, Paris and New York enterprise software business in the marketing automation space. I led their B. They just closed a $60 million Series C um, with a new investor, Eurasio. Um, when I talk about founders running through brick walls, uh, Jonathan, absolutely. I mean, he's just the quintessential CEO in that regard. Um, I remember flying there uh, over Thanksgiving in 2017 um, and at the end of the day, you know, we spent the entire day in the, in the boardroom um, running through diligence documents. And this macaroon shop had been closed for like three hours. And there's a guy in there literally, you know, uh, brushing the floor and he knocks on the door and he had to get us these macaroons. We were flying back the next day and he somehow, you know, just kept knocking. The guy was kind of shooing him away kept knocking, kept knocking, finally got us in there, got the guy to open the register and get us macaroons, uh, before we took off. Um, and that's the kind of CEO he is. I mean, he's just a phenomenal human being that, um, has really poured his heart and soul into the business. Um, so that's one. Um Scale Factor. We were just talking about Scale Factors a company based in Austin, um, led by founder and CEO Kurt Rathman. Um I was fortunate enough to lead their series A there uh in the summer of last year and um Bessemer just led a series B there recently, a thirty million dollar round. So really happy to have them on board. Um And there, you know, I I think the thing to talk about is, uh, you know, I was just talking about founder market fit, but there it's really team market fit. When I invested, they had 12 folks on the team with uh, masters in accounting, right? And this is just a product that has been informed by a number of really, really intelligent people um, who know what they're selling. And that, you know, tends to show up in retention and growth numbers. And thankfully it has and um, hopefully will continue to. Um, Beam Solutions, which you actually just announced last week, finally—that's um, a company that I invested in at the seed stage um, in Q1 of 2017—came um, upon this problem of money laundering and fraud in the um, kind of financial institution uh, system ecosystem, but also knowing that fintechs and consumer companies with a large payment component are going to be, um, you know, having to deal with this problem as well. Um, and Ben and Andreas, there are the co founding team and just the absolute perfect team um, to go after this. Facebook and, and PayPal um, and have done a tremendous job. And we just welcomed Graycroft on as a follow on Series A investor. Lastly, um, Hugo, which is an insurtech company based in Los Angeles, the CEO, David Bergendahl, there. Um, You know, we have a saying that uh, you need to work with a regulator in fintech. Um, And I'm not a big consumer fintech investor. I I generally like to be on the B2B side. When I met David, he had this really deep understanding of the regulatory system and had also built a relationship um, with the Department of Insurance in California that was really deep. And I thought um, he was incredibly thoughtful about building that relationship for the long term because it's important in fintech to have that direct relationship and a relationship. Of trust and understanding in fintech because you can get shut down if, if you don't. Um, and to his credit, he's just been tremendously thoughtful about uh, continuing to build that, um, you know, over a long period of time. And hopefully, we're rewarded for it shortly here.
0: Yeah, excellent. Well, congrats on, on those so far. Yeah. And uh, let's you know, shift a little back to the the personal side of life. Any spirit you had mentioned? You know, the the home burning. Any other experiences of adversity that have shaped you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a big one, uh, and I'll I'll start before the story. I'm 100 percent fine today, walking fantastically well. I work out and run, and you know, do everything I, need, I want to do. Um, in 2010, I was uh, here in San Francisco, and I um, I lived in Soma and worked in the financial district. And for those of you who are familiar with San Francisco and the lack of public transportation, I would get on the Muni every morning, and it would take sometimes 30 to 45 minutes to go, you know, a half mile mile because it looped around the Embarcadero and stopped for 10 minutes at every stop. Um so I decided to buy a commuter motorcycle. Um and you probably know where this is heading was coming on from work one day and got blindsided by a, a drunk driver you know broke everything in my body um you know it was in the hospital they told me I'm paralyzed yada 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 really uh, obviously big jarring moment um but in the moment I remember when they told me I was going to be paralyzed um, everything was immediately prioritized in my mind. Like it truly in the moment, um, I thought of specific things. You should have done this. You should have done that. You shouldn't have done this. Um, and it was just a, you know, f- a phenomenal moment for me because <laughs> probably because I ended up being okay. Ultimately they were wrong, obviously. And, um, I, my body has bounced back now, um, But it it was just an important moment for me to kind of always be grounded in, hey, you know, what are you doing today? And is that the right thing for you to be doing if you're to be hit by a car right now? Because you've Mm -hmm. been hit by a car and it was not fun. Um, So I, you know, it's it sounds funny to say, but I, I... I wish that everyone could get hit by a car and be okay because it, it's just a it's a great, great experience for me and something I fall back on all the time still. So you have that lens every day. Yeah, yeah. No, and I you know, to be fair, I get away from it all the time, right? I'll go two or three weeks and, you know, wake up and just be really cloudy and stressed and you know, these things are going on and kind of fall back and say, Hey, one of those things that you told yourself is like, Why on earth would you get so stressed that it's affecting every day? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, life is pretty great relax <laughs> everything's going to be fine uh and so i think uh you know that was that was one of the big takeaways in addition to you know literally things like spending more time with family and you know stuff like that that were you know again very specific um so yeah uh very weird but phenomenal experience so how how do you stay centered now knowing that
0: you have that lens and what can happen
1: yeah um, so I started, uh, meditating probably a year and a half ago and it's nothing special. I use the headspace app mm-hmm. 15 minutes every morning. Um, or I, I try to do it every morning. I should say it's become like working out for me where, you know, you kind of go two or three days and you feel a little sluggish and not, and not so good. Um, but it truly has just become a phenomenal tool for me to wake up and center myself and go off and, and hopefully be productive that day. Um, it just so happened that when I started doing Headspace, a colleague of mine, I should say, a friend of mine first, um, Brendan Dickinson, had told me to sign up for something called Reboot. Um, and he said, Don't look at anything. Just here, book the thing. I'll book it for you. And then book the flight, and you're going to show up. I think it was in um, Utah or Denver. And we went for a three day weekend, and it was effectively you know it was probably 30 VC's in the room talking about insecurities but also really peeling back the layers on why you have those insecurities and you know what was it in your life that you're now bringing into the boardroom or you know the the conference room when you're looking at deals um And that, you know, really, I think came at a perfect time because I had, you know, I I was a little tired. I was just a little kind of beaten down. Um, And there's a lot of things I took away from that in addition to just kind of daily headspace, uh, which have been phenomenal for me. You know, beyond that, I think it's important to have a strong support system and, and doing the things that you like. I think you can, you get busy and you know, for example, I went snowboarding two weeks ago. It was like the first time this, this season I had gone snowboarding. It was like, oh, wow, like that was really fun. I forgot how much fun that yeah. is. I, I need to prioritize these types of things. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just really important to do things that, uh, you know, make yourself happy as, as you know, uh, easy as that sounds. Yeah. What are uh, a couple of goals, maybe one professional, one personal,
0: you know, still on your list?
1: Yeah. So uh, professional goal you know, there's so much luck at the early stage. And, and I think um, that's something I fought for a long time. Um, you know, you want to feel like you're in control. And if you do enough work, and you're a good enough board member, you're going to have some kind of control on the outcome. I think the reality is, a lot of investors come to this business work very hard, and they're never rewarded for it. It's just it's kind of the luck of the draw. And um, and so for me, you know, I really focus my time on if at the end of the day my founders feel like I, you know, worked my tail off for them and treated them fairly, that's that's a phenomenal outcome. Um if there happened to be a couple IPOs sprinkled in there, that'd be fantastic. Um you know, but but it really is once you write that check, you're you're no longer in control in most cases. Um and then, you know, a hard one is also writing a book. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea what the topic's going mm-hmm. to be. Um, I have a whiteboard at home that I am constantly adding stuff to and taking off. And uh, a book has been a constant on there for a really long time. So, no idea what it's going to be, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm sure with that intention, it'll, you know, it'll come yeah. to you over time. Hopefully. Yeah.
0: How, so, uh, you know, back to uh, another little piece of wisdom from Ron Suber who, who coined the term rewirement instead yeah. of retirement and, and encouraging people that. not to just, you know, defer and wait to ride off into the sunset. What are, are some of your passions beyond work? Yeah. Um, you know, in addition to family that, you know, could use some some rewiring of some sort uh, now or in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah, for me, one of my biggest goals outside of work is to start a some kind of nonprofit that has to do with um, underprivileged young kids in sports. Um, and I just, sports has just had such profound impact on me. And I think in many communities can help keep folks going down the right path. Um, and lots of times, you know, as you look at a budget for a public school system, sports is the first thing to be cut, right? I mean, you have to buy the books, you have to hire the teachers. Um, but when it comes to new football pads or basketballs, right, It's that that's going to be the first thing to be cut. So it, it's really um, investing in that Um, you know, a community like that at some point in time, um, you know, it's always, it's always next year. It's something you know, um, definitely kind of top of mind for me, but I I just think sports has the ability to really give folks opportunity, even if like myself, they're not going to be a professional athlete and there's going to be a funnel of their goals going from athlete to VC or, you know, insurance salesperson or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So it really would be that. Good. Yeah.
0: So, and as we, we wrap up here, Michael, uh, and I know this can be a loaded question for a VC, but how do you define success?
1: Yeah. So I immediately thought of a podcast that Naval did. Um, it was last year. I think it was like Q1 of 2018. Um, and he was asked a similar question about happiness. And he said, happiness is a default state. It's what's there when you remove the sense that something is missing from your life. Hmm. And I just thought, it's like, wow, that's so simple and obvious. Uh, and so for me, that's what success is. If I can you know, wake up multiple days at a time and, and have that feeling um, or lack of feeling, I guess, then that, that feels like success. Good. Well, Michael, yeah.
0: all the best for your continued success and happiness. And uh, we'll stay tuned for that book down the road. Thanks yeah. so much Thank for your you time so much. today. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Michael for his time and candor today. If you're new to this podcast, consider catching up on past episodes, including Golden State Warriors GM Bob Myers, FinTech guru Ron Suber, and many other inspiring guests. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite service and consider leaving a review. Until next time, keep setting intentions beyond the check.